0: So what's going to be the game changer after you've done a good job? That's the kicker for them telling their family and their friends about you, building your business, how they felt about the interaction is a critical issue to whether or not they're going to tell people you came in and you did a great job or whether you were completely forgettable and they had no idea. Somebody asked, did you ever use a plumber or an electrician? And like, "Ah, you know, I don't know. They're all the same. That's how you make the distinction of not being like everybody else. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as
1: it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now, here's your hosts, Brian
2: Burton and Nate Minnick.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. And we are super excited to be celebrating episode 100. We are very privileged and so excited to have none other than author and FBI negotiator Chris Voss is joining us on the podcast today. And We are going to be talking about him, his book, and concepts about never splitting the difference. Before we get into that exciting interview, though, we are going to break down some ideas for you on the introduction, and we're going to turn to Brian for our
2: quote. When the other side says... I'll try. You should get a sinking feeling in your stomach because this really means I plan to fail. Chris Voss. Never split the difference. That's (laughs) right, buddy. Glad you read it.
1: So good, so good. And man, I am really excited for this conversation. That book is just mind-blowing.
2: Yeah, buddy. It was uh, long before I thought we'd ever be having a conversation with Chris. I'm in some, like, sales professional facebook groups online <clears throat> and uh probably talk to chris about this if we have time but uh every now and then somebody new will come into the groups you know and and most people who come into the groups just they never say anything they don't introduce themselves they just kind of just sit back and watch just fine but um the more outgoing ones or, or kind of assertive ones will jump in there and say you know just new to sales what three books should i read and the first one I always recommend anymore is Never Split the Difference. Cause I, I consider it the selling or communication Bible at this point. It's just so rich. And it's a short book. It's not really a crazy long book, you know, respective to some of the other uh, highly regarded selling books. But I, I do love the book. I love, I love the, the Black Swan group and everything they do. It's just an endless fountain of communication training.
1: You're right, Brian. The concepts in the book are just so revolutionary, and yet uh, it's it's not like it's rocket science. These are things that all of us can understand, uh, and in in many ways, it's right in front of your face. But until somebody reveals it to you, it's like watching a magician. In many ways, what you see looks impossible. It, it looks unbelievable until somebody actually shows you what you do, what they're doing, and then you're like, "Oh, okay. I mean, I could do that." And that's kind of what this book is like. I mean, it's 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 revolutionary in its own way, but it's not like hey, only a few select people in the world could ever become, you know, could ever master this tactic or could ever employ this strategy.
2: It's like a it's like a Jordan Peterson YouTube video or reading his book. You walk away feeling like you are a genius <laughs> and maybe even had something to do with writing it, you know? Like, ah, Yeah. It's just because the, the concepts in this and never split the difference are so practical. Like it's so obvious and usable, but it took a brilliant, very highly trained mind to, to notice, to, you know, really k- kind of take advantage of them and then pen them in a book and, make it available to us commoners.
1: Right. I mean it's not it's not like Isaac Newton invented gravity, right?
2: He didn't? No. Who did?
1: (laughs) I believe that would be the good lord above. Oh, okay. That's (laughs) how that worked. But Isaac Newton was the one that actually sat down and like thought about how it interacts. And and Chris is the type of guy that I mean he didn't invent human nature. He didn't invent how people react, but he did sit down and examine the things that he saw and put it into read uh you know readable form or listenable form and says these are the things that people will typically do when this happens
2: and like Isaac Newton I'm guessing Chris would say that he got to see a little further out because he stood on the shoulders of giants
1: yeah and and he and he in his own right has become a giant now And, and certainly this book is proof of that but as we get into it I mean his history is is vast and it's not like he just you know went into uh the spare bedroom of his house and sat down one day and just kind of came up with some ideas. Like this is experience that has gained over many, many years of FBI hostage negotiation, not all of which was successful. And he brings that up in his book several times to point out that there was many mistakes made along the way. And man, is there a, is there no better way of learning about how not to make a mistake than reading about somebody who literally it cost them their lives when something
2: went wrong. Mm hmm. Speaking of uh, growing into a giant, 100th episode. Yeah, what's up with that? 100th episode, and we just hit the 100 uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts, Mark. All right. Actually just got over 107.
1: And I got to say, shout out to you, Brian. You are a persistent man, and thank you very much uh, for the honor of getting Chris on here. That was all
2: you. My pleasure, buddy. Yeah do not take no for an answer. <laughs> it's just no, look, it's not in person. Uh, you know, I'm not meeting these guys at the grocery store and asking them 15, 16 times after they said no. <laughs> right. I'm just like, okie okay, doke, see you next week <laughs> in an email or whatever. Um, yeah, cool, cool, cool way that it kind of happened with Chris was, oh, I know you guys really want us to get to the Chris part because – I'm guessing most of the people listening to this have never listened before <laughs> and will never listen again, but really want to talk, uh, hear Chris talk. Uh, don't skip forward. This is only going to be about an hour and a half of us talking before the episode. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool, cool way was you know, we reached out to Chris first. I didn't reach out to Chris. We we just found a way to reach out to Chris's people and uh, were told he was unavailable. So they had other trainers available and Brandon Voss, his son being one of them. Um, so we said, let's, let's book Brandon. I don't know, it, it was like a couple months before he came on.
1: Which was an awesome episode, by the way.
2: <clears throat> it really was.
1: And that actually goes back to episode 54, uh, The Power of Negotiation with Brandon Voss, which was a fantastic episode. If you're looking for more content like today's going to have, make sure you check that one out. As well as the one that we did with Derek Gaunt, uh, which was episode eighty-seven on ego authority failure. Both of them are from the Black Swan Group, and both of them have excellent content.
2: Yeah, if you want to, if you really want to have your ears blown off um, after this episode, go check out episode fifty-four. The Brandon Voss episode was called "Power: The Power of Negotiation." Right. Um you you can't believe how Brandon Voss showed up and you, you were like, Chris credits him in the book with having helped co-write that book for him. And if you're part of the black Swan group at all, get their newsletters or anything, you know, that Chris credits him with a lot of the material they come up with, but to hear him present even an interview, it, it, the kid is gifted. I mean, he's just a, an extremely gifted speaker and interview and, um, very, just a very smart, hardworking guy. Yeah, we have all the respect in the world for Brandon, and all the respect in the world for Chris. He has done so much for you know even the people who work here, including myself in the, in the communication and negotiation piece. That book is revolutionary. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend you read it. If you have read it, I just read it for the third time prepping for this episode. Read it again because I was like. There's no way I heard that chapter before, despite reading it two times before. Right. It's, just, it's just,
1: it's rich. The con, you're absolutely right. It's it's very deep, but it's not, again, it's not deep as in like you have to be, you know, a wizard or a scientist to understand what he's talking you about. You can
2: have a 10th grade Detroit public school education <laughs> and understand everything talked about. I promise.
1: <laughs> we, we've we heard people say that before.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me being one of them. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, we are excited to talk about it. And uh, really, we're going to be jumping into all types of negotiation, uh, specifically around uh, in the, the in-home experience with a client and dealing with uh, presenting price and also you know overcoming obstacles in the home, discussing how you would interact with a client and all the things that go with that. And man, we're not even going to hit the tip of the iceberg on this thing, but we're going to do the best that we can to pack it into the hour That Chris has allotted for us and we are really looking forward to that conversation
2: but we do want to thank everyone who's whether you're an avid listener whether you've written us a review a member of the Facebook group waste no day everyone who supports the podcast we thank you everyone who's just dropping in just for this episode thanks for checking us out if you like what you hear hit the download button hit the subscribe button swing by and leave us a review if possible and with no further ado let's bring Chris on
1: that's right brian we are proud to put chris voss in your passenger seat our guest today is a 24-year veteran of the fbi chris voss is one of the preeminent practitioners and professors of negotiating skills in the world He is the founder and principal of the Black Swan Group, a consulting firm that provides training and advises Fortune 500 companies through complex negotiations. Voss has taught for many business schools, including the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business, MIT's Sloan School of Management, Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, among others. For episode 100, we are proud to invite Chris onto the show. Welcome here, Chris.
0: Thanks, guys. It's my pleasure to be here.
2: We appreciate you calling in for for many reasons, um, not the least of which is that your son Brandon's episode, uh, The Power of Negotiation, it was called from September of last year, is our second most downloaded episode. So besides the fact that I'm guessing his shoes are probably two or three size bigger than yours because he's a big <laughs> boy, uh, you have some big shoes to fill, sir. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll do it you know i don't I don't mind being known as brandon boss's father in any way shape or form
2: <laughs> I imagine so he's uh he was something else man a, a great talent he's, it's kind of you like never know you know he's he's the son of a very accomplished man and you know that can kind of go either way but he's from what we've seen of him in in your black Swan group he's just he's a hard worker he's a super intelligent guy he's a great guest on a podcast he was funny and engaging and and I'll say your whole staff. I mean, Amina Collins is who we we tend to deal with for booking you and and Brandon and Derek. And I, the whole time we've dealt with her, she and everyone else has treated our little you know skilled trade podcast like we were the you know Joe Rogan show or Jocko Willing show. She the utmost respect everybody treats us with, and we appreciate that.
0: Oh, cool! I'm really I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, that's. Uh... We're, we're about our core values and that's just our people, my team, living uh, live in our core values.
1: Do you mind sharing what those core values are? Just uh, out of curiosity.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's basically, we think of ourselves as blue collar, which is really hardworking, hard figured out, have fun, have integrity, um, be, uh, put team first. You know, those seem to be really obvious. Um, but there, there are a few things that a lot of people just don't practice. Uh, you know, people don't really understand what it is to put the team first. Um, you know, people integrity is like ah, you know, uh, it's easy to have integrity except when you're word that it's going to hurt you, it's going to work against you. Yeah. Um, hard work. Everybody says they want to work hard, but do they really? And then then the tricky one is learning. And um, one of the things I say in the company is. Um, the only sin is to not learn. And you've got to learn fast. That's one one of the things that I kind of recognize because a number of people have said uh, the only sustainable competitive advantage is, is to learn faster than your competition. And I think the first person that that was attributed to was a, a guy who was an executive with Royal Dutch Shell out of the Netherlands. And a bunch of people have, have picked it up. And then Jack Welch took it one more step. He said, uh, to learn faster than your competition and apply what you've learned. And what, you know, what we teach in a black Swan group is you don't necessarily got to learn fast. Just learn a little bit each day. And eventually you're going to outpace your competition. Cause they're going to stop working or they're going to quit learning or they're just going to quit. And if you just try to learn a little bit each day, then if you have a bad day, you didn't learn anything, you don't care. Like, all right, so I wasn't trying to get 10x better today. I was trying to get 1% better. And since I was hungover or I slept later I was in a bad mood, I didn't learn anything today, that's okay. And it's easier to start over if you're just trying to learn a little bit at a time. And if you're just trying to learn a little bit at a time, in the course of a year, you're going to be like, holy mackerel, I learned a lot.
1: Speaking of learning a lot, uh, the book that you've written, "Never Split the Difference," uh, is is certainly in the top three. Brian would say in the top uh, number one, one, one. Uh, in terms of material that we are looking to apply into the industry. Uh, and so we oh, want to we you. just we want to jump into it. But first, we want to learn. And for the sake of those who, or if there are a few people out there who don't know who you are, uh, we would love for you to just kind of give us a little bit of a summary about who you are and how you got to the place that you are in today.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, well, who I am today. Good, good guy. Um, I started out as small town Midwestern guy, a uh, blue collar family. My father was a sole proprietor, but you know, just a small town Midwestern blue collar dude, nothing special. Um, n- not super smart, not super athletic, uh, you know, family doesn't have great connections. Didn't go to a big college and I just uh, I got into law enforcement I was a cop in Kansas City joined the FBI I was lucky enough when I decided I wanted to join they were hiring a bunch of folks I managed to get in with a lot of people coming through the door and bounced around worked terrorism and then kidnappings and became the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator and got out of the bureau and decided that that stuff applied to all, all life everyday business and personal life started teaching it Georgetown in the MBA program, business school, and uh, also then USC, and taught at Harvard, and then wrote a book in 2016. My son Brandon is the unofficial co-author of the book. So, people, three people really wrote that book: me, uh, a professional writer named Tall Ross, who is a freaking genius, and Brandon. And uh, the book has been the uh, best-selling business book in the uh, business negotiation category on Amazon for about 5 years. Wow.
1: That's amazing. And and while we're at it, so I mean you're also the president of your company, the Black Swan Group, which is a concept that you bring up in the group. Could you explain what the Black Swan Group does and then also what is this phrase a black swan?
0: Yeah, black swan is something that makes all, a little thing that makes all the difference in a world. it was a guy named Nicholas Taleb, Nassim Nicholas Taleb wrote a book in 2007 called The Black Swan, The Impact of the Highly Improbable. And I was really inspired by that concept, which started from 17th century Europe when all they ever saw were white swans. And then they discovered black swans in Australia. And they thought, wow, this is crazy. You know, how could, how could a black swan be? And so a black swan is something that little makes all the difference in the world. And, We, I love the metaphor because the black swan method, you know, we just do little things that are different. It sounds like a regular conversation, but it makes all the difference in the world. And so I use that as a, the, the, the name, the company, the black swan group. And we're principally, uh, we took hostage negotiation and me and Brandon and, and Derek Gaunt, who's also been on your show. You know, we evolved the ideas and what are the tiny little things you can do in a negotiation? And then what are the tiny little things you're trying to find out in a negotiation that might be hidden from you? That If you just knew them, it would change everything. And so that's what the Black Swan Group is about, teaching people how to get better in little ways and learning what the game-changing pieces of information are.
1: Learning how to get better is something that we are constantly pushing here, and learning how to read people is one of the biggest parts of that. So our audience is primarily the home services industry, meaning plumbers, electricians, and HVAC techs in the truck right now, driving to their next call, trying to figure out how they're going to empathize with somebody who's probably not having a good day. And so the ability to interact with people, understand where they're coming from, And understanding how the solutions that you're going to provide to them can make their life better, if not at least back to normal is a massive part of our day. So we wanted to jump in here in terms of the content that you write about in the book and begin with, if you would place yourself in a truck and you were headed to somebody's home who had, you know, water leaking from their ceiling or they were sweating it out because their AC was broken down or the lights weren't coming on when they flipped the switch. What would be the things that you would focus on in interacting with a client and understanding yourself in that situation?
0: Yeah, you know, um, and I think Brandon uh, probably brought this phrase up first in our group. You know, it's a cold read. You you read what they look, what they're going through, and you just articulate it to them. Like, and if they if they're if they got water coming through the ceiling. What's this guy or gal thinking? They're thinking, this is the last thing I want to have happen today. And you can just say that to somebody. Well, this is clearly the last thing that you want to have happen today. Last dude that you want to have walking in your in your front door is the plumber because you got water coming through the ceiling, or is the electrician because you went to turn your lights on and they didn't come on. I mean, you got, you got other things that you want to deal with today other than this. And you're probably mad at me for not getting here sooner because you sat by, you sat here and you stared at this waiting for me to show up. I mean, what it is is really calling out what you know the other person is thinking and feeling based on the circumstances. And it's not taking responsibility for it. And it's not telling them not to think it. And with a little bit of practice, you get really good at this. I mean, it's amazing how quickly people can get. It basically calling out the elephant in the room and the person on the other side finds it tremendously relieving. They want you to understand how the situation is to them. And as soon as they feel like you get it, they automatically start to calm down.
1: Now, when you were working in your days in, with the FBI, and I assume you would get a call saying like, Chris, we have a hostage situation. And then you'd have to drop whatever you were doing, you know, put the clothes on, hop in the car and and drive on out to the scene. How did you handle the nerves of that drive? Were were you amped up? Is this what you lived for? And, and, you know, you just couldn't wait to make it happen? Or did you have to deal with butterflies like perhaps some of our technicians do on their road?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, I learned the communication process. Before I started doing it as a hostage negotiator, I learned it on a suicide hotline. And I just learned to really trust this communication process um, by getting plenty of real practice in. You know, you start on a suicide hotline, they give you some great training. Uh, and then you get to listen to a couple calls, which is basically observing and you see people using the skills. And you see it work. And then you get to do it a couple times, supervised. What is that doing? You know, you get your toe in the water a little at a time. You get the confidence in the process. And so then once I got confidence in the process, then when I had to do it for real, I just leaned into the process. Uh, It's a Jim Camp wrote a book in 2002 called Start With No, which we learned a lot from. And I collaborated with Jim, was friends with him. And he used to call negotiation, as a human performance event. Uh, And any good communication is a human performance event. And the sports analogy is you got to have practice. So as soon as you have practiced enough, like you talked before about what do you say to the person, your plumber, your electrician, and you know they're sitting there waiting on you. Well, you've been practicing in your ordinary interactions with the person you bought coffee from, uh, with the person uh, that checked you out at the counter at the drugstore or the grocery store. You know, just do a cold read of them. Looks like you're having a tough day. Looks like you're busy. Uh, looks like people are driving you crazy. You know, you practice your cold reads in um, your small stakes interactions. You then trust the process the same way that I did as an FBI hostage negotiator. I got into practice, I leaned into the process because I figured it would give me my best chance of success. And so then when I was on my way to the real situation, I just put myself in the same mindset when I use a process. The
1: process is absolutely something that we are uh, foundationally teaching here as well. Because there there is a process, even though every single home service call is different, right? You know, there's a different scenario, there's a different client there's still a process and the ability to utilize the skeleton of that to form out and flesh out the rest of the call is, is instrumental to having success. So when we, yeah. when typically, when we walk in the door, you know, we're, we're interacting with the client and there's going to be some type of assessment, like what is going on? You know, obviously the client is not having a good day. There's something wrong, something in their life, like you already mentioned, and, and you said about calling it out and helping them feel relieved does that like what does that look like practically i mean do you just say like wow it looks like you have water coming through your ceiling or or are there any types of uh specific ways of phrasing that to help relieve the pressure while still not being read as calloused or like you don't care about my my house
0: yeah that's a great question because it's throwing the distinction like you're you're not doing an observation of the facts you're doing an observation of their reaction to the facts so um, what's the reaction to having water come through the ceiling? Like this is the last thing that you wanted to have happen today. Um, this is, this is, uh, you, 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 got other, you got other things in mind. I mean, this has got to be driving you crazy and you wish that I'd gotten here sooner. Now you want to know that I know what I'm doing and you want to know that I could fix this and you want to know that you're going to get charged a fair price for it. I mean, so you're not calling out the facts. You're calling out their reaction to the facts. That's the first subtle distinction in uh, the process of getting them in a mental um, mind frame where they trust you. And they trust that you're going to treat them fairly and they trust that you appreciate how the situation is for them.
1: Now, Chris, you, in the book, you also mentioned something called labeling, where you're you're taking the feelings that they have and packaging them up and and using a phrase like "I'm sure that makes you feel like this," or "Does that make you feel like this?" Yeah,
2: it's like it's it's calling out their emotional state. Um, but what what does that then do to their emotional state?
0: Yeah, this is very much is their negative emotional state because this is where your real emotional intelligence advantage comes from. And let me use the elephant in the room analogy again because their negative emotional state, how they feel about the situation, is the elephant in the room. And you never got rid of the elephant in the room by denying it or ignoring it. What you do is you call it out. So there's neuroscience experiments that have shown this a number of times. If somebody's in a negative mind frame, if you can just hang a label on it, if you just call it out, if you just identify it. Yay. Don't deny it, but simply identify it. Then neuroscience has shown us that that's the most effective way to get it to, to dial down, to turn down, to diffuse, to dissipate. They did an experiment. They put people in something called an fMRI, which is can like a big helmet thing that tracks the electrical activity in your brain. And then they showed them pictures that caused them to feel sad, uh, unhappy, angry. The pictures just gave them negative emotions. And they simply asked the people, what are you feeling? And and when the people uh, just called it out or labeled, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm frustrated, I'm upset. The machine that tracked the electrical activity in their brain showed the electrical activity in the negative part of their brain, reduced every single time. And so it was just hanging a label on it, just calling it out, just identifying the negative emotion. And the critical issue here, too, is not denying. And what would that look like for a plumber or an electrician? You know, uh, say when you're talking about the bill and you say, I don't want you to think this is going to be expensive. That would be denial. That would be the improper way to say it. The proper way to say it would be, you're probably going to think this is expensive. And that's an actual relief for the person that's hearing it. That two-millimeter shift, that black swan shift from denying a certain negative emotion that you have sensed that they either are feeling or going to feel and simply calling it out. And that's what that's what the label is. It's not a denial. It's just calling it out.
1: You also speak about a concept of mirroring and, and in the home, you know, as a service professional, you're often often dealing with somebody who's trying to express things that they may not understand, right? They're, they understand that they're hot, they're annoyed, there's water where it shouldn't be, you know, things aren't working, but they don't probably understand all the logistics as to why Uh, and nor, nor do they have to but how can you use mirroring and just kind of empathizing with them to help them further discover, uh, how you are going to assist them and come to their aid?
0: Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great question too, because the process that you also described just now is a little bit of an information gathering process from a person who's not doing a great job articulating it, which is going to be compounded by the fact that they're unhappy. Um, You wouldn't, you know, a service provider wouldn't be there if there wasn't a set of circumstances that made him unhappy. Now, what's a critical issue about that is, well, when you're in a negative frame of mind, when you're unhappy, you're actually dumber as a human being. There's a great TED Talk out there by a Harvard psychologist named Sean Acker called, I think, The Happiness Advantage. And Sean is a source of my data for this. He says you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. So the flip side of that coin is, if you're smarter when you're in a positive frame of mind, then by definition, when you're in a negative frame of mind, you're dumber. Mm. So you've walked into your service provider. You've walked into a house. They're having a horrible day. You're trying to figure out what's going on. You're trying to gather information and empathize simultaneously. That's what the beautiful thing about a mirror is. A mirror is just repeating word for word one to three words that the person just said could be just one you know we we usually say the last three words it's usually one to five no more than five does it have to be the last words that they said no it doesn't have to be the last words that they said but just a couple of the exact words that they just said because what that does is it connects thoughts in their head and helps them more fully articulate what you need to know therefore you're gathering information, and simultaneously it makes them feel good to have those thoughts connected, and it makes them feel good to express those thoughts to you, and therefore you're empathizing. Empathy is not sympathy. Empathy is just demonstrated understanding. There's a real important distinction there. Almost everybody talks about empathy as if it's sympathy, and they're not synonyms. They're closely related, but they're not synonyms. So when you mirror the other side feels understood, feels empathized with, without you being actually sympathetic, but you're making them feel good and you're gathering information.
2: And there, this is one of those things I assure you many of our audience and probably people who read the book, which I hope is all of our audience, but if not get there, please do yourself a solid that when you hear this, you think immediately the client, my spouse, you know, friend, someone I'm negotiating with, whatever it is, employee, employer, they're going to see me doing this and know exactly what I'm doing. Right. But in the book, you talk about someone you were training who, <laughs> in front of Brandon. All right. Why don't you tell the story, Chris? You know it better than I do. Yeah.
0: No, it was great, man. You know, um, and this guy still works for us. You know, he, he went away for a few years, followed his own path. Found his way back to his Keenan, and you know before Brandon and Keenan show up, uh, Keenan tells Brandon he's gonna he's he says watch me I'm gonna I'm gonna mirror Chris uh, I'm gonna do it to him and he's not gonna see it, and so we sit down and we're talking, and Keenan is mirroring me, and I got no idea I mean I am chattering away. You know, I'm loving it because mirroring, you love it when somebody mirrors you. Repeat a couple <laughs> of words you, we just you said. And I'm chattering, chattering, chattering. And finally, Brandon goes, oh, God, I can't take it anymore. He's been doing nothing but mirroring you for the last 45 minutes. You didn't even pay attention. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of I got a shock look on my face. And, you know, I had to recover. So, you know, I looked at him. And I said, i knew it all along
2: (laughs) (laughs) so even if one of the most successful hostage negotiators in fbi history is not going to see it coming uh mrs smith across the kitchen table you're probably safe go ahead and try to mirror but role play it practice it do it at home first you know do it with with your colleagues get good at it like anything it needs some practice and you'll get the feeling for went for what words you need to say like is it two words of that sentence is it five is it one yeah. it get easier and easier as you go
0: yeah and, and especially with the practice the tone of voice I mean getting a natural tone of voice a lot of people when they're first trying the skills whether it's mirrors or labels they feel so awkward that it comes out in a voice you know we you're gonna feel like a robot if you feel like a robot you're gonna sound like a robot and take it practice. And so getting to practice is much about just natural tonal voices.
2: I'm not sure how many of, of our younger audience even know what this is these days, but is that where you're going to use the FM radio DJ, late night radio <laughs> DJ voice?
0: The late night FM DJ
2: voice. <laughs> so soothing. So soothing. I'm relaxed.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, Chris, with whether it's labeling or mirroring, uh, what's the ultimate goal? What are we trying to get the client to? I mean, obviously, we're making them feel better. We're 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 empathizing with them. We're putting ourselves in their shoes. We're we're communicating to them that we understand what they're talking about, what they're feeling. What are we trying to get at, though?
0: Well, you know what you're trying to do. You're trying to you're trying to accelerate the outcome, the communication without them feeling like it was accelerated. Like if you got to gather information from them, you, you, you're going to use the labels and mirrors to gather the information. And it actually accelerates the information gathering process without the other side feeling it. Now, the real critical issue here is your referral pipeline. You come in and you fix it. Are they going to refer you? Are they going to call you back? Are they going to tell your friends their friends about you? That's going to be largely based on how they feel about the interaction with you versus, you know, the job that you did. Now, the job that you did, of course, is important. You have to have done it right. But we're presuming, by definition here, people that are listening to you are doing a good job because they're listening to you and they're trying to get better. So what's going to be the game changer after you've done a good job, that's the kicker for them telling their family and their friends about you, building your business, building your referral pipeline. How they felt about the interaction is a critical issue to whether or not they're gonna tell people you came in and you did a great job or whether you were completely forgettable and they had no idea and somebody asked them, Yeah, did you ever use a plumber or an electrician? And they're like ah, you know, I don't know, they're all the same that's how you make the distinction of not being like everybody else. And that builds your business.
1: Speaking of building your business, uh, part of business for us is obviously the exchange of money. And so, you know, we don't perform services for free and I don't think our clients expect us to, although they might appreciate that. Uh, there's always going to be some type of interaction exchange for service. We're providing, fixing their their problem. And they're in exchange, uh, providing us with some of their currency. And so that's when the, you know, quote unquote negotiation starts to begin because somebody, uh, might have done some Google research about how much this is supposed to cost or, you know, right. maybe they, their brother's friends, mother's uncle, uh, you know, right. he, he's a plumber too, and he'll do it for this much. And, you know, we get into all these scenarios where This is how much we charge, and it's not what the person is thinking it was going to be. It's certainly almost always higher than they want it to be, and many other things involved. So now we get into the negotiation piece. Uh, Jump in there for us, and as you, I mean, you're a homeowner. I'm sure you've had a a service professional in your home. Maybe you can even speak from experience, but where does negotiation come into play in terms of our industry and dealing with a client?
0: Yeah, and it's, it very, it's very much about, you know, how, what their reaction to the price is. And, you know, this is what we call an inoculating move, you know, calling up a negative in advance. A great way to say is you're not going to like this. It's this going to sound like a lot. It's going to feel really expensive. You know, what you're doing is you're prepping somebody for bad news. And people are remarkably accepting bad news if they've been given a minimal amount of warning that it's coming. Let's talk about the neuroscience again. And why would I talk about neuroscience in terms of a bill in your feed? Well, neuroscience tells us that emotional pain and physical pain are registered in in the brain in the same areas. And there have been experiments that have shown that if the doctor's getting ready to jab you with a needle and he just pokes you with the needle, then you got hit with pain that you didn't expect, and you're angry over it. But if the doctor says, this is going to hurt, and then he jabs you with the needle, a heartbeat or two later, three no longer than three seconds, you brace yourself and he jabs you with the needle and you go, hey, you know what, that wasn't that bad. You warned me the pain was coming. I got ready for it, and I handled it. People are incredibly resilient with just enough wanting to brace themselves. So you got a bill that you're getting ready to charge somebody, say, you know what, this is going to hurt. Are you ready, you know, you're not going to like how much this is. This is going to feel expensive. Then what happens in the moment that you let them brace themselves, the chances are extremely high that the amount they thought you were going to ask for was more than what you actually asked for. That's the other advantage. Human beings are our brains are wired to keep us alive, which means that our brains are wired to be on a pessimistic side. Because you know the optimistic caveman got eaten by the saber tooth tiger because he thought well you know that looks friendly I'll go pet it and the saber tooth <laughs> ate him. That was the optimistic guy.
2: My kids would not fare well.
0: Yeah. And so the optimistic guy didn't have any descendants. Only the pessimists survived the cave mandate. <laughs> so we're wired to be pessimistic. And then, so they're going to be thinking this a lot. So you say, look, look, man, you know, I got to tell you something. This is going to sound high to you. And you wait about that long and you give them the bill because in that intervening moment, they thought of a really high number and what are two things is going to happen? Either your price is going to be a relief or they're going to say, you know what? It is high. And you warned me that it was going to be coming. So now I trust you because you didn't catch me off guard by making me believe that it was a small bill. You warned me and I appreciate the warning.
1: So Chris, in in all your years of hostage negotiation, obviously dollar amounts were, constantly thrown out. You know, if someone takes a hostage, I want, I want $10 million. I want $20 million. I want $200,000. And I was, as I was listening to your book and, you know, you're dealing with people in Haiti, like they wanted $150,000. Whereas other, other uh, scenarios where they wanted $10 million. People's market, uh, understanding of what something is worth is, is vastly all over the place. Right? So like the, 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 kidnappers in Haiti, you know, they just wanted some party money for the weekend. You know, They were satisfied with uh, $10,000, $5,000, I believe is what you were getting them down to. Whereas some other people may be far more uh, demanding and understanding of what something is worth, and they want $10 million, $20 million. How do you piece that all together when you don't know the person on the other side of the table? You don't know what they know about market demand, market expectations, or even how that all interacts with you being right there in the home fixing their problem.
0: Well, you know, it's going to be labels and mirrors and labeling how they see things. Because you want to get them talking. It's this simultaneous process of information gathering and rapport building. You want to start to find out what they know. And a label as simple as it sounds like you've probably done some research on this. And then shut up. Because as you know, while they're sitting there waiting for you to show up, whether you're a plumber, or are electrician, they, you know, they probably went on the internet and they started doing their research. Everybody does research. And if they did took the time, they're kind of proud of that. They're dying to tell you. So you're an information gathering process. You probably looked into this. You probably talked to some of your friends. It looks like you probably checked this on Google you start throwing that out there and then going quiet so that they can respond. Now you're going to start to find out what's in their head and whether or not it's accurate, whether or not it's relevant. That's a secondary decision. after you find out what kind of research they've done or what's in their head. So that, that's really how you get that process started.
1: And once you do have them talking and let's say that they, you know, they were expecting something half or, you know, I, I was expecting to pay half of this. Where do you go from there? Because now now you get into the negotiation piece where obviously we have a price book or we have, you know, some companies do hourly or whatever it is and, and you know, this is what the price is and the customer is saying, oh, well, that's, that's not going to work.
0: Yeah, well, the first question is, like, um, are they just, you know, they, a lot of people out there that are just, they're BSing you, they're bargaining with you to see if they get you to come down. So you got to understand whether that's the case that they're just testing you or whether or not they've, they've got some misinformation on what's going on. But sounds like you've done some research behind this. Sounds like the the great label of all time. Like you write this baby down. You can use this under any and all circumstances. Sounds like you got a reason for saying that. I, I was expecting it to pay half. Sounds like you got a reason for saying that. You want to find out what's behind their reason. Are they are they just testing you, or do they have a real reason for it? Now, if they were expecting to be half of what your legitimate fee is, then their their reasoning for it is flawed, and helping them see that is a critical issue. It's gonna build your reputation, build your business, build your referrals. Are they gonna refer you? Are they gonna rate you well? Are they gonna go on Yelp and put something negative? I mean, this is this is clearly understanding where someone is coming from and the basis force clearly has long term consequences on the viability of your business. So you wanna get a feel for where they're coming from, and if they said something that makes no sense, sounds like you got a reason for saying that. Is the best way to find out what's behind their statement.
1: Well, Chris, I'm just looking at your price here and it, it just doesn't seem fair.
0: Sounds like you got a reason for saying
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just, it seems, it doesn't seem fair because I've, I've, uh, a buddy of mine does, uh, some work and, you know, he said it should be somewhere between this and that and, and you're way over that price.
0: Sounds like you'd rather have your buddy come out here and do the work. Uh, Well, I I
1: would have, but it's a weekend, and uh, he wasn't available. So I I was forced to call you guys.
0: Sounds like there's some value in getting it done right away and getting it done right.
1: (laughs) That's so good. Um, Well, I I don't disagree with you there, Chris, uh, but, I mean... Again, it just it seems it seems out of line. It seems like more than it should cost.
0: How am I supposed to drop the price when it's really valuable to you to have it done now and have it done well?
1: I don't know. I mean can't you like go sharpen your pencil or something? You guys have certainly there's some play in the numbers, right?
0: No, I'm sorry. I'm afraid not. See, so, you know, what we just did on the back and forth was I let out know a little at a time, you know, not complying with the other side's price demands. They want to take a run at you. They want to feel like that they made an effort. And by you sticking to the price gently with each point, you know, I pointed out there's some value to getting it done now. Is some value to get it done right. And a lot of people, they want to know that the price is firm and the only way they're going to know that it's firm is to test it on you a little bit. They're going to test you a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is human nature. That's fine. You know, let them put in the effort, let them, you let know out a little at a time. And I leaned a little bit more in that direction each time until finally at the end, I drew a pretty clear line in the sand, but I didn't say it tough. You know, I said it easy, gently, late night FM DJ voice. I threw a couple softeners. You know, the I'm sorry's and I'm afraid's, it's not that those sentences, phrases are bad. You know, a lot of people say, you know, don't ever apologize, don't ever say you're sorry. They're great softeners, if you use them before you deliver the bad news. So I'm sorry, I'm afraid, no, that's the price. Is a specific sequence where I went, I'm sorry, I'm afraid. And then delivered the no instead of the reverse order. And it lands a lot better with the other person instead of saying, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry no lands much more gently with the other side
2: that that is awesome and and also the for for lack of a better term the um unwillingness almost at at which you go about uh negotiating on the price like i'm not willing to drop my price and derek gaunt uh one of your trainers was on episode 87 of the waste no day podcast and he talked about you know you're either the favorite in which case you shouldn't drop your price or you're not they don't want to use you anyway and you're the fool in which case you shouldn't drop your price bottom line is you shouldn't drop your price (laughs) which is which is great because we you know we have a lot of i'm guessing it's not just technicians in, in in the skilled trades it's people everywhere in any kind of selling situation you're you know, our go-to, especially early in, in our selling career, is to, you know, that, that is your get-out-of-jail-free card. Your cheat code is to just 10% discount, you know, w- w- whatever it takes. Just drop the price, which is really, forget about what it's doing to you and your income or the company, but it's really devaluing, I think, what you do for a living when you're so quick to lower your price.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, that's exactly it. And and on a presumption that, you know, you, you're you're you worth every dime. That you're actually bargain because you're going to do a great job. You got integrity. You deliver. You get it right the first time. Those are the things that make full price value. Um. You're there on a weekend. You're there on odd on odd hours. I mean, you, you, were, you were pleasant to deal with. You know, there's, I like to joke around, there's an annoyance tax. A lot of people got to pay an annoyance tax. They're unpleasant to deal with, and so they, <laughs> you know, they should have to pay for it as a result. So if you're not paying the annoyance, annoyance tax, you're, you're pleasant to deal with. Um, then you That's another reason why you're worth every dime that you charge. There's all these great intangible reasons while your full price is justified and much of it is emotional. So deliver the goods and unashamedly get full price.
2: Absolutely. Love, love the full price, uh, um, talks and and it's something I'm, I want to dig more into in, in the black Swan group. Um, and I know we're coming up on, on the end of the, the interview here, Real quick, we, we in the skilled trades, primarily this one is is more for the HVAC side. And you have, you know, what we call, usually call comfort advisors or the salespeople who go out to the home and will sell the new equipment replacement. And then maybe the next day, maybe, you know, when it's really hot, like now it could be a week out or three weeks out or, you know, various companies have different time windows. But it, it could be much later that the install team comes out to actually replace that equipment, and in that time frame, and I'm sure this is the same with cars and any profession when there's a when there's a period of time when the the uh, client has the between, opportunity to yeah, cancel between the sale and the execution. Yeah, there there's that window of time, and every industry deals with cancellations in that time. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the rule of three, and I certainly don't want to give away too much of the book or, you know, the Black Swan group course or your mastermind on Facebook or any of that stuff. But would you mind talking a little bit about that and how we can help make sure that less of those jobs cancel before they're actually done?
0: Yeah, you know, it's just getting someone to uh, verbalize their agreement three times. And this could get really confusing because there's something out there called the Yes Momentum which is getting somebody to say yes to three different things in a row. And this is not that, because that's three different yeses, different yeses, and this is agreeing to the same thing three times. And what it boils down to is summarizing a conversation, paraphrasing a conversation, mirroring the conversation, the agreement, so that people have agreed to it three times they get a very clear memory in their head when they've agreed to something three times versus if you have only said it once, they may not have a clear memory of it happening. Uh, They may have been, you know, a little wishy-washy, a little iffy on whether or not they were agreeing. The other thing too is getting someone to agree more than once to the same thing it invests their ego in that agreement a little bit more each time. And you want to get their ego invested in the fact that they agreed to it. Mm. You want them to have a clear memory. You You want them to feel like you gave them the chance to back out and they clearly decided not to. And that's what really the rule of three is all about. If you're testing the agreement, they remember that and they're even more determined to comply if they said it three times.
2: So let's say time number one is you ask Nate, it seems like this is something you think is a good idea and you appreciate the value we offer. Would you like me to go ahead and get you on the schedule
0: today? And Nate well, says. Uh, and, yes. and I'd even change that up because when you learn a black swan method, like we're out of the yes business entirely. Like one of, one of, one of our phrases is it used to be, yes, is nothing without how, an And now it's just, yes, is nothing. I mean, people are easily ta- easy tossing out yeses with, you know, they're not invested. They're not agreeing with them. So I'd, uh, I'd probably say like, uh, are you against doing this? Um, do you feel like this is a waste of your money? You know, I'm changing my questions. It's uh, where instead of trying to get a yes, I'm trying to get a flip side, no, which takes me in the same direction. People feel better about, no, they feel safe and protected when they say no. And also they're more likely to articulate your, their reservations if they have any, they might say, no, I'm not against it. But boom, boom, boom. And they'll be very honest with what their reservations are. Now this is what you wanted in the first place. But the crazy thing about human beings is they're less likely to share them after a yes. So people are much more honest after they've said no because your real issue here is you don't want them to cancel on you in the meantime or you don't want them to change their mind when they get back out there. So getting no instead of yes is much more powerful to start with. So are you against scheduling an appointment to have the equipment put in would be the way I would say.
1: No, I, I'm I'm not. I mean, it seems like it probably makes sense.
0: Okay, so then we he, here's what we're talking about installing and here's what the price is for the installation. Have I got that wrong?
1: No, that's that's certainly what we talked about and I think that's probably the best options for
2: us.
0: Okay, so it sounds like it works for you that we'll schedule this with our guys and we expect to be out and this amount of time and you're comfortable with having this done. Again, did I get that wrong?
1: No, Chris. That's exactly what we talked about.
0: Okay, boom. You got it three times. Now you, now you should be good. I mean, always oh, as good as you can be. There's... There's going to be something you asked me about earlier, you know, the process. What I didn't really talk about that much was best chance of success. There's no guaranteed process. What there is is raising your odds that they're going to comply or diminishing the amount of times that they back out. You know, basically, we live in a Las Vegas world. And when you start using a black swan method, you start getting no instead of yes. When you start getting somebody to... Um, go back over their agreement three times, what you're doing is you're you're raising your win rate. And if you learn the Black Swan method, it's like being in Vegas. You were on the 10% win table. We want to get you on the 70% win table. So it's about best chance of success. And with the least amount of time and building your referral pipeline so that you've got your business going and they're telling their friends about and not only did you do a great job, but they felt like they got treated fairly because you talked about the price with them, and they decided they were good with
2: it. So at the blackjack table of, uh, of selling, the Black Swan Group is teaching us to count cards. I read you. <laughs> <laughs> a single deck blackjack table.
0: <laughs> there you go. Exactly right.
1: Uh, Chris, this is such good stuff and uh, we got to be bringing it in for a landing here. But before we do, uh, if people are interested in learning more about you, the Black Swan Group, your book, where is some good places for them to find those resources?
0: Yeah, you know, subscribing to our newsletter is the best way. And the fact that it's complimentary, that it's a free newsletter, doesn't really how it's valuable. What's valuable is it's concise and it's actionable. And It's got all of our training announcements. It is the gateway to the website, which is blackswanltd.com. And in the upper right-hand corner of the website is a tab for the blog, and that's where you, you subscribe, give us your email address, sign up. But it gives you access to the website, its reminders, its training announcements. We got all kinds of free stuff on the website to make you a better negotiator. After you buy the book, you subscribe to the newsletter. Then when you're really ready to raise the level of your game, you can take one of our classes that we're going to charge you a lot for. <laughs> I
1: but see what you meantime, did there.
0: <laughs> exactly. But in the meantime, we got a lot of free stuff, and a, a lot of people get a long way with just the book and the newsletter alone. Yeah.
2: Well, I'll, I'll tell you, like yesterday's um, yesterday's newsletter, the title is negotiation training when to walk away and i get something out of every one of these newsletters and i'm a big big pusher of the newsletter and uh, to our people here and, and on the podcast um, and i'll and i'll say that everything you guys put out is to me well i'll say i'm i'm a member of several just sales focused facebook groups some of them with 40 50,000 members and occasionally a new person will come into the group and the, one of the first questions they ask is, I'm new to sales, what books should I be reading? And my answer for probably a few years now has been, um, to me, the new sales Bible is never split the difference. I believe what you. what you and Tal and Brandon did with that is just, it's a, it's an absolute masterpiece on communication. I wouldn't even say negotiating and selling, just on communicating with people. And you know, before we we sign off, i I want to thank you. I want to thank Derek for coming on the show. I want to thank Brandon. I want to, uh, you know, future thank Sandy and Troy and Barbara, who we absolutely plan on having on as well. And we'll you know, we'll be in touch with Amina about that later. <laughs> but this uh, is beautiful. this is our one hundredth episode celebration, and and uh, we couldn't thank you enough. Couldn't possibly thank you enough as I'm sure our audience will as well for coming on with us today. You're here. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's really cool. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. Well,
2: Chris,
1: as, as we uh, wrap it up here, the one final question I want to ask is more about mistakes. And, you know, we have uh, we have people listening to this podcast who they're heading to their first call right now that they've never been to uh, one before. We have people who are heading to their, 40,000th call. You know, this is their 40th year in the trades and this is old hat. But surely over the years, you've seen people make the same mistakes time and time again. In terms of your negotiations and all the things that you've brought together, what have been some of the most common things that have hindered the successful negotiation, whether it be a price or a hostage? What have been the common trip ups that people fall over uh, that are so easily corrected?
0: Yeah, you know, the first one is just being in a hurry. I mean, I had a judge in a trial a long time ago. He said, I have to say, we're going to delay things in order to save time. I mean, the, the gentler you are about getting your points across, the more likely they are to land. And especially when you know where it's going, you know what the outcome is. You're going to be in a hurry. You're going to be more direct. Uh, you're going to be a little blunt. And then it just becomes a highly inefficient process. So, being in a hurry um, is almost always counterproductive. And then that tone of voice. Like, if if you say it nice, like, you'd be shocked what you can get away with if you just say it nice. You know, Derek has got way more experience in sieges than I do because he was a local police officer, and they just get out and get involved with him far more than the FBI does. You know, he used to say, I'll just put a guy on the phone, guy or gal who's got a great tone of voice. They don't even have to be that good at the skills. If they got a great tone of voice, it's gonna make all the difference in the world. And then if you're not in a hurry and you got a good tone of voice and you hit the other side out, a lot of times they're more than happy to agree if they if they just feel heard. And if the only thing I gotta do to get you to agree is to feel heard, then it's gonna save me a whole bunch of time. Because I don't have, I don't have to try to dance you into my solution at all. If all it took was uh, for you feeling like you've been heard out, so it's really those three things that are the biggest three things.
1: That's great advice to wrap it up today. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. It has been a, a uh, sincere pleasure uh, to have you on the show. We really appreciate not only the time but the content. There is so much more. Make sure you check out his book. And all the resources that the black Swan group is putting out there Uh, again, just thank you so much, Chris. It has been a joy.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on guys.
1: Wow. What an amazing way to wrap up our 100th episode on the waste no day podcast. We are so privileged to have Chris join us on the show. And let me tell you, if you got anything out of today's uh, episode, you are just the tip of the iceberg, stuff there because the the book, the materials, the newsletter, the everything that they are doing is so so deep. I mean, as I was listening to the book, I'm like, man, I'm only going to get five to ten percent of this thing because there's just so much to it, and I would have to stop and pause and write down and re-listen and re-listen and re-listen. And you know what? That's okay. Most of you have plenty of time to be doing listening. That's why we do this as an audio podcast. And we really encourage you to diversify your listening, not to just this podcast, but get his book, get Never Split the Difference, get you know, 10, 12 other books that are so amazing they could revolutionize your life, your career, and your family's experience. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. It was truly awesome to have a such an industry titan, uh, Chris Voss, on the show. And we want to be bringing more people like that to the episodes for you. If you have ideas about who you'd love to hear, We'd love to hear about it. Drop us a note in the comments, hit us with a five-star review, and let us know how we are making a difference in your life, and this show is impacting you. Thank you so much for what you are doing. Each one of you who's listening to this podcast is doing the hard work out there because we know if you're listening here, you're applying it to your life, and if you're applying it to your life, you're also choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day.